Welcome to the Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Grabeel, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Now, here's John. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. I've uh, had a lot of fun doing the podcast, and I'm learning a lot. Today's interview is with Tom Bagley. He was actually the first employee, full-time employee, hired at the Audubon Country Club. He's one of the driving coaches, former IndyCar driver, just an amazing story that he details from not even getting a car. Well, I don't want to ruin the interview. Just listen to the interview, really enjoy it. It's fantastic. The interview is a little bit longer than normal, so we're not going to have any announcements at the end of the show today. Also, I'm trying to keep the podcast right around an hour or so. That seems to be a pretty good time for everybody. If you have any comments, questions, please reach out to me at podcast at audubonccc.com is the email email address for the podcast. You can also see me around the track. I do enjoy it when you guys come up to me and the listeners either tell me something they liked, something they didn't like, but I'm all ears to hear how we can improve the podcast. I think I have the audio a little bit better this time with the microphone. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. And now, here's Tom Bagley on the Audubon Country Club Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm with Tom Bagley. We're in the classroom at the Audubon. South Timing Classroom. Correct. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Tom, you're one of the instructors here. My son, my wife, and and me have all enjoyed your coaching while we've been here. Take us all, we're, we're, take us all the way back to the beginning here. So where, where are you from? Originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And... How long were you there to? Did you? I was there through high school and then went to college in Philadelphia at Drexel University and then to grad school at Penn State, State College, PA. And so, what, was your dad, were your parents from the Penn, there, Pennsylvania? Uh, area? I was, my mom was a single mom and uh, we were originally from the Pittsburgh area and and uh, what I would call a poor part of town. <laughs> okay, okay. And, uh, so, uh, regrettably, I had no contact with people with cars. I mean, it's just was not something. No neighbors was, or no. There was just well at that time there weren't many people involved with performance cars, or at least I didn't know of anyone until I was in high school, and only a couple of my classmates in high school were involved. So I wasn't involved at all. I played. You know, all the sports, football, baseball, swam, track. That was that was my life, but uh, not cars. Not Car- cars. No, and not then so, and what did you study in college? Your uh, undergrad. What did you study? Physics. Physics. Both grad school and undergrad. So yeah, I we during our lessons, I can I can tell your um understanding of the physics of the car is uh, is a, at a level much greater than mine <laughs> let's just say well that really is what drew me to into it um some of the fellows that in the I went to radio astronomy I was still in physics 
but I got attracted to radio astronomy and about half the guys in the lab. Radio astronomy, I'm going to guess, is... You're sending out radio waves into the black a black sky and seeing what bounces back. Actually, I would just be receiving. Just I was oh, so to, you just you just okay, not radar, but just this right. <laughs> we uh, I was supposed to build a what's called a radiometer, which is a receiver, and then uh, that I found records of where the people with uh, Green Bank, West Virginia, couldn't keep the thing going with full-time electrical engineers, and I was complicating it by putting more amplification at the beginning, which would make it virtually impossible to do what I wanted to do. And that what I, my first part of the project was to determine what the composition was of the moon. <laughs> and, wow. I, but they landed on it before I finished. <laughs> Were you on the right track? Uh, well, I... I concluded that I would never get this equipment working properly. I was supposed to mount it on a 30-foot dish. You knew it wasn't cheese anyway, right? We knew it wasn't. wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, the guys in the lab had sports cars, and I didn't even own a car yet. At that point, I had uh, spent a lot of time in school. I was a uh, co-op student in undergrad, and uh, so I was probably 27 years old before I bought a car. 27 years old. All right. The champion race car driver gets his first car at 27. So what car was it? A Triumph Spitfire. Uh, Pretty which, cool car to start off with, right? Uh, it was not the best car. Oh, <laughs> it was, it was the, cool though, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, I like the looks, you know, it uh, had a true swing axle rear suspension. It was cheap. That was, that was a high priority. And, uh, but I did that mainly so I could autocross because actually when I got married, my wife had a, a boat, a 59 Chevy that I wanted to autocross because I thought I could do a little better because I think uh, these guys could drive a little differently, but they wouldn't let me run it because it was not a sports car. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so that's why I had to go out and buy a car. And, uh. So it just went. So where there. were you? So were you working full? So twenty seven. Where were you, were you working full time for the university? Or no, I I was a grad uh, oh, assistant, okay. teaching assistant, and working on my thesis work on radio astronomy, and working on cars. I was learning how to uh, work on cars uh, almost immediately. We found the engine was bad, and the suspension was horrible. It was the first year they were made, and it had a true swing axle rear suspension which was frightening to watch when you corner very hard because the wheel would tuck under and uh, the back end would jack up in the air. And you're going to do autocross with this. Yeah. <laughs> we bought, I bought the car on a Friday, and Sunday we autocrossed it. No both way. Both my wife and I. And, no way. And it was frightening to watch because the back end would get way up in the air. And so I thought, well, I got some suspension work to do. But before that happened, I had to rebuild the engine. So this is in Philadelphia? No, this is in State College, PA. Okay, State College, PA. Okay. <laughs> and who put on the autocross? Uh, there were two clubs, the Central Pennsylvania Region of SCCA. The which, Sports Club, SCCA Sports Club Car of America. Right. Um, most of the guys were SCCA members. And then there was the Penn State Sports Car Club also. So both clubs put on events in the parking lots. Um, that was before parking lots got filled with flowers and light standards and all of that sort of thing. So there, you could have a fairly open 
uh, surface. Still cones back, I mean. We used, what we used were golf shaft plastic tubes, protective tubes. Yeah. yeah. That are inside diameter is about one inch. Yeah. And we'd use small pieces of dowel, wooden dowel, hammer them into the asphalt and stick the <laughs> tube on. And we painted them red and green so you know which direction. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Cones take up a little more space than we wanted. So. <laughs> well, that, make, that makes sense. So the so you're 27. You get the car. You autocross it. How'd you fare on the first autocross? Ah, uh, we did all right. I uh, bet we you didn't, did. We didn't I win. Did. I bet you did. I'm pretty good. Um, and what were the other? What kind of other cars were? Oh, there were all kinds. Uh, we had Volkswagens, uh, um, French car, the. Uh, Citroen CTV, which is a weird car. I don't know if you know that. No, car, I don't. Um, another fellow was selling Citrons. He would take a wheel off just for showing off at times, and he could drive the course with three wheels. No way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we had all kinds. I had later bought a Camaro, a '67 Camaro. So there were so there were some some American cars there, Corvettes yeah. back in the. Yeah. So all those, and so you're running that. So Sunday you come home, you said this, and then Monday you say, I can fix this. All right. Well, I didn't find out for about a week. Uh, and then I didn't want to touch it until I got a workshop manual because I had not worked on the cars and I didn't want to get it all apart and not be able to get it back together. And I wanted to do it right. So spent a lot of hours because if we take, do one thing at a time. Originally, I just wanted to rebuild it. Actually, originally, I wanted to just put it together and give it to And to just you. have fun. This all started just to have fun right. autocrossing right. on the weekends, right? right. <laughs> <This is a laughs> Escalated car. quickly. Yeah. Okay, so we get a, you got a car, you're working on it, you get the manual. Did you eventually do that yep, to the car? Yeah, so I'd work at the lab during the day, go home for dinner, and both my wife and I would go out and uh, tear things apart, labor. Everything was labeled, so we wouldn't. And you had to go. You had to go buy tools. You had to go buy jacks. You had to. Uh, there wasn't too much to get the. Uh, to get the lab. Apart. The lab had a lot of tools and had a machine shop. Oh, okay. And that was very handy. And uh, I had the security of people there that knew how to do this stuff. Um, if I got in trouble, so I didn't have to resort to begging them. But uh, fortunately, so. That, but it was a, a security cushion. I, I agree to that. Recently, I was sick. I was working on a car that I have, and my mechanic told me, he goes, just go home and do it. There's nothing you can break that I can't fix. And so with confidence, I went home, and uh, I knew I had that in the back of my mind. So I, was, I had fun, and it all, it all worked out. So you kind of had this, that same kind of security blanket, you might say, exactly. to experiment and to move forward with with your uh, learning of the new... Yeah, one of the fellows had just finished uh, rebuilding an engine, super tuning, I call it, uh, an engine in a bug-eye Sprite. I think it was a 58. Uh, beautiful car. And so I knew he had done it with a different make car, but you know, an engine is an engine, I think. And uh, But I started out just wanting to rebuild. Then I thought, well, I'll match the ports. That won't affect the reliability and it just kept escalating to where I had a cam in it I had to put in 
40 over pistons and I just completely redid the engine. And the last thing I did was decide I better balance it. <laughs> so I had to take it to an hour and a half away to get it balanced. But it was done right. And so how so you didn't how long did it take for that process to re, to rebuild it? It probably took us at least a couple months. And no water crossing during this time. No. So no. you get your first taste, you say this is great, I need to fix it. And you fix it two months, and then you come back. You bring that same car back to the autocross? Yes. Yes. Yeah, we ran that car for over a year. Oh, wow. Before we got the Camaro. And then we ran it and the Camaro. And so what year was Camaro was? 67. 67. Oh, yeah. Still have it? No, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. There's there's one on uh, a website that's the same color, same, ex- exactly same car. 35000 they won. He advertised for it. Wow. How and much I, did you pay for that, for the Camaro? I paid, it was one year old with 15,000 miles on it. I think I paid $2,100. <laughs> oh, <laughs> from a friend, one another fellow that worked at the lab who oh. bought a Corvette from one of the other guys. Oh, wow. It goes on and on. So you get the you get the Camaro, the 67 Camaro, and you, so, you just ran that first or did you tear ran, that apart and fix that too <laughs> no 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 i didn't want to do that <laughs> i didn't really want to do the first one but it was worth it um but we would run both my wife and i would run uh sometimes maybe she would run the spitfire and i would run the camaro or vice versa and uh, both cars ran very well and i'm sure you're, you're probably so you did this a lot i bet at this point right you started yeah as much as often as we could um we in the central Pennsylvania area, we had five clubs together and formed what was uh, we've referred to as CPAC, uh, that Central Pennsylvania Autocross Council. And each club would put on events and we'd travel. So we always had a good turnout because all the clubs were involved. Helping everybody else out, right, right. Right. And that's one thing you've mentioned to us that we enjoy doing autocross. You think that's a valuable Yes. L- very valuable learning lesson for young drivers. I'm not so young, but new drivers. How about that? Young in yeah. my driving career. Right? Uh, it's a good experience. Um, we have enjoyed doing that and look forward to, we've written our whole summer schedule and calendar based on all the events out here so we can now work around them a little bit better than we did last year. So you're autocrossing and then are you you stayed at the this whole entire time you're at the university right. still work still finishing up your thesis and correct i ended up uh doing a theoretical paper instead of the uh receiving with the radiometer uh, it was a theoretical paper on zero temperature stars and uh i read my thesis years decades after mm-hmm. i don't understand it no oh, that's funny <laughs> uh, it was pretty complicated <laughs> so you, you get through that and then and then where did you end up or what happened so anyway one of the falls we were running with had a, a firebird and he said we should go to a driver's school i said i asked him i said well, where is it he said well they're different ones he was a car guy he he got Auto Week magazine and that sort of thing. I hadn't gotten to that point yet. Um, so he said, well, I'll look into it. So we ended up uh, going to Summit Point, West Virginia, which is about three and a half hours away. It's outside of Washington, D.C. 
and we went on. Uh, you could rent the track at that time for seven dollars for the day. <laughs> <laughs> the whole day. The whole day. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so it cost us fourteen dollars. <laughs> <laughs> but we met the instructor, who was a professional, very professional driver. Um, what kind of track was it? Oval or is it? No, it's a road course. Road course, yeah. paved and everything. Yep. yep. Just actually very, very much like the Audubon. Hmm. Same, same idea. They actually have, I think, four tracks. Oh my goodness! Yeah, they they've grown a lot. They have more acreage. Probably more than seven dollars today, though. I'm guessing, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when I mention that, though, I do point out there were no safety workers, no flaggers, no. Nothing, nothing, you know, nothing. No, no safety barriers. No, oh, wow. I remember in one corner where it was called the chute, go just about flat out in a Formula Ford, which was the school car. And off the left were these mounds of boulders. And if you hit them, you had a reasonable chance of dying. So, the, the don't philosophy hit then is don't do it. That's <laughs> don't right. Don't, don't hit it right there. <laughs> wow. That was, uh, that was right before the era of um, people becoming more safety conscious. <laughs> I didn't realize uh, all the how dangerous it really was when I got started. Thank goodness, otherwise I may have had second thoughts about it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're about 28 or so, is that? At this point, when I went to school, I was 30. So 30. <laughs> So thirty. This is an amazing story. So thirty years old, you're driving a Formula, which is like a a small indie car, right? Formula Ford was yes. like a yeah, Pro Mazda now, or Formula like Mazda, one hundred and fifteen horsepower, one hundred and twenty horsepower, open wheel, single seater. And how? So how does how is the coach coaching you? Is he lead following? Is it no? Um, he just watching you. Again, safety was not a big concern then, but I remember him encouraging braking as late as you could. So he stood at the end of the longest straightaway, which is very long. Um, and he said, don't break until you get to where I'm standing. So, and each time I'd go by, he'd move to the corner closer. Until, <laughs> <laughs> and I think, actually, we took the Spitfire as well. So my buddy and I were swapping back and forth. Okay. And I think I was in the Spitfire at this time. And I braked, I waited until I got to him and, was just about sideways sliding into the corner, and he was laughing because he he knew it was way too deep. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Wow! So, but he was standing right in the middle of the track. I mean, you just you know, oh. today that wouldn't fly. <laughs> no, I guess not. I guess not. So now you're. This was the first school, and you obviously loved it. And he probably saw that boy, this guy can drive. I'm guessing, right? Actually, at the end of the school, he suggested I race. He, I bet, yeah. So, because I really didn't have any aspirations up to that point. I mean, just hadn't occurred to me to go racing. And and as oftentimes that we find in life that you have this skill, this innate. God-given skills. So now he sees that you got put into that situation where this coach could see that, and then amazing things happen. Yeah. <laughs> he was also a physicist, a, a geophysicist. Oh wow! Which probably gave him credibility. Maybe I wouldn't have listened to him if he'd have been a chemist. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh. But anyway, so then. So, what kind of driving was he doing? Was he as a professional? He, there was a pro Formula Ford series. I remember that. that yeah. IMSA, International Motorsport Association, IMSA, uh, put on, and he won the championship two years, first two years. And then he he told me I should be racing, but I should get a good car. He said, "I'll help you get a good car." Well, that was in July. By December, I hadn't heard anything about a good car yet. You're still autocrossing at this time, having fun? Yeah. 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 Okay. And uh, so I saw a Formula Ford advertised in Iowa. So I took my tow vehicle, Camaro. <laughs> your Camaro. <laughs> and went out and bought this thing. It was $2,700 for the car, the trailer, and spare parts. And I thought that's too too good a price to pass up. So. <laughs> No, but when I got to the track, it took. And what me. did this guy doing? Was he running in that series with it? Did you bought the car from? No, he he. Uh, I don't know what races he ran. Mostly in the central, central. part of the okay. country. Okay. Um, so when I went to the first race, I had to really rebuild the whole car because the rules changed on the roll bar height. The engine wasn't put together right. I could tell that when I dropped the pan. So it really went through the whole And how part. do you know this? You just started, you got the manual and just started doing it? There was no manual for that one. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is amazing. I so, didn't touch it for two months because I didn't know where to begin. But once I saw a race, at some point, I thought, that's the race I want to make. Um, that was in September. So from December when I picked the car up till February, I hadn't done anything with the car. And uh, then started working on it. We last minute got the car ready and when i showed the car to bill scott who is the instructor mm -hmm. at the school i saw him and i said oh i got a car and he said oh good let's let's look at it and we got to the car and he shook his head sideways and he said i told you i'd help you get a good car oh no <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it worked so when you start so you just so back in the day you didn't did you, did you have to go through a racing school? You just raced one? Well, he gave, as a result of going through his school, I had what was called a provisional license. Okay. And so the first race I went to was actually the Pro Ford race at some point, on which was recognized. That my, the license, provisional license that I got from Bill Scott's school as a result of school, they uh, allowed me to race. And I ran that race. First race. You're in the single seat out there. In how, the, how long was the race? In the rain. In the in the, oh in the mud. It was always oh, terrible. And how long was the race? Oh, uh, probably about 35, 40 minutes. Wow. It was so bad. I mean, the conditions were horrible. Um, Bill actually spun and got went off the track a little bit. Had to get out of his car and push the car back on the track. Get back in, build it up, and he still won the race. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! There was one other fellow that should have won, who had something very sway bar bracket break or something, and and he was foolish enough to go in and try and fix it. He could have just slowed down and and kept the lead, but he was the only one that was competitive with Bill. So, how many cars were there? Um. Actually, there were 56 entries, and they, they would only race 36. So what they did was they took the first 30 in qualifying, 
And then the morning of the race had another race of the, those that didn't qualify and took the top six. So they started 36 cars. And you started right with the first 30? I was, I don't know, 20th or something like that. It was not bad. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> your first real race, you qualified 20th out of 50-some cars. And then how, how did you finish? end up finishing the race? And Yeah. And was it, what, what did you, how did you, what was your, uh... I, I don't know, I finished maybe 18th, I don't know, I don't really remember where I finished, okay. but it was but you knew nothing that, spectacular. But you knew you had the bug, that was it, you loved it, you said this is, probably, is this, at what point did you really think, boy, I'm going to do this, or I, I can do this, or? Uh, I guess I just continually was... Just kept it going, going after yeah. yeah, yeah. And then Bill wrote a letter of recommendation to Wave. Bill is the instructor. Uh -huh. Wrote a letter of recommendation to Wave requirements, and the licensing chairman thought the world of Bill. Said, "Just scratch through my logbook. Said, go to two regionals. I'll give you a national license." <laughs> okay, so you get the car back on the trailer and get it home, and it was okay at the end of the race? Yeah. Muddy? Yeah, oh, muddy. muddy, very muddy. Everyone's car was brown. <laughs> A reddish brown. <laughs> Mine was green underneath. <laughs> and so the last, the second regional was in December, and the only place I could find a race was in Florida. So I towed all the way to Florida to do a regional race, which was crazy. But got it out of the way. Then Bill called and was he was uh, the Royal distributor for English uh, British car, and he said, "I have a Super V here that's a good class. Uh, I think that would be a good class for you to go to. And this car is being turned in for someone wants to buy a new one, so I bought that." And it's a Super V, you said? Super, Formula Super V. Formula Super V. So still Formula car type? Right. Okay. A little more horsepower. Not a lot, but a little. Started out, uh, and I ran that series for six years. That was my whole background, basically, with isolated races of other cars. And at what, you were a crew chief in yourself and fixing the car yourself? Mm -hmm. And then at what point did you have, did you have help in that at all? Uh, my brother-in-law, who started out, not knowing anything about wrenching, but learned we learned together, and he he would do the, you know a lot of the work that I couldn't. I mean, I just couldn't get done myself, especially when we had issues. You know, and what were you doing for a job at this point? Were you still? Did you still work? I didn't have time for a job. <laughs> My wife was working, making all about ten thousand dollars a year, and uh, so we borrowed money, and we were. At the end of was it first, and maybe end of the first year. The end of the first year, I was I was tapped out. I couldn't borrow any more money. And uh, someone who wanted to get into it, into that series, <clears throat> lived about forty five miles away. Contacted me because they had heard about me racing. This was a fifteen year old kid, and. Uh, he contacted me and said, maybe I'd like to have you drive my car. And he had another fellow. He had been running Formula V, which is a 50-horsepower car. Uh, but his his driver didn't want to travel, didn't want to. So it was pretty easy. But I, it carried me over another year. 
which was very good. And the 15-year-old kid was the owner of the car? He, his father uh, had a Porsche, Audi, and Volkswagen dealerships. And so the kid was pretty, very good for a 15-year-old. Holy cow. He did a lot of the work himself. Really? Yeah. And he hires you to be the driver? Right. Well, there was no pay involved. Oh. There was no, <laughs> there was car, no right? expense either, <laughs> which was a big thing. So then the, uh, the end of that year, um, the, the whole thing fell apart. We were doing so well, the kid thought, well, I'm going to get a second car. So he got a second car, and uh, I elected not to even run the last three races because I could see things weren't right, and it turned out to be a disaster for them. They went to the West Coast and didn't run. They ran one race, I think, and, uh, and totaled the car at the end. I mean, it was a disaster for them. Oh, wow. And this is like a race, a race every weekend. For the season, or um, that was there were three races on the West Coast at the end of the season. They they had them all together because most of the competitors were not from the West Coast, and to minimize the travel, oh, okay. that's okay. why how they did it. Um, but anyway, so then the next year, I'm back with my my Royale, and the first race went to the first race with a true legitimate for sale sign on the car because <laughs> I I. Didn't recover much financially, and we won the race. While the car's for sale, you were in the great way to sell the car, right? Win the race with it. Well, <laughs> theoretically, yeah. <laughs> the for sale sign came off because uh, now I was going to. It was a, purse, uh, a professional race, so there was purse money. Uh -huh. So that would give me enough money to run two or three more races, which we did, and then we won the fifth race. So this is your early early thirties ish. Yeah, I was uh, the first race was I was going on thirty two. Was thirty one. And what are the other? So like first time racers back then were they younger like they are now or um, were they? Was that an average age for? I didn't, I didn't know. No, there there weren't a lot of kids. It's it's today I couldn't do what I did. Yeah, starting at starting in the late twenties, getting going right. I just couldn't. Well, and the costs are outrageous. So that's so now, okay. So what's the next? So you won, you won, win the next race, and you're going, you're making money. So well, no, <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going deeper in, into debt, not okay. much anyway. Okay. And then uh, the, uh, the a company that made car built cars in Charlotte suggested I may want to run their shop. Manager shop. So I went on in January and he wasn't sure. He said, Oh, I think you want to race too much. I said, Well, I'm not going to quit racing. I mean, I gave up too much to do this. So uh, we agreed we wouldn't do that. But he let me use his shop, getting the car ready, and then he loaned me his car because he had just finished the third season of Super V and all three years he finished second in the championship never won it so he loaned me his car and i built a fresh engine i had a lot of ideas of things to do we got to the track too late to, we missed the first day of practice because we were still in charlotte and it was at daytona and so when we got to the track we did something we couldn't possibly do today and then as we pulled up unloaded the car 
there were several of us, two guys unloaded the car. My wife and another fellow and I went in, registered. I had gotten dressed in uh, the uh, truck that we had. It was also mm -hmm. borrowed. It was big enough. It's like a bakery truck. I could get dressed while we were approaching the track because we saw we were going to get there during the only qualifying session. <laughs> so we we got to the, the track, unloaded the two guys, unloaded the car, got registered. I jumped in, drove down through the tunnel, through the paddock, onto the track, <laughs> and didn't even get tagged. <laughs> but at least I had a time, so I... Felt pretty sure I was going to be in the field if they didn't throw me out. <laughs> <laughs> and we ended up winning the race. Oh, wow. So you get, the, you get the car that he had never won in, gets a new driver. He won, but he didn't win the championship. Oh, he didn't win the championship. So gets a new driver. You've got a, an engine that you've hand-built, that you created, and you go out there and win. Wow, what an amazing feeling. I'm sure that was. That was pretty exciting so that that really helped me get a sponsor because a fellow that worked at sun oil in philadelphia that i didn't know but uh he ran formula v and you know he's very aware of super v and knew someone that was looking to sponsor how often does that happen <laughs> <laughs> And anyway, he contacted me, and that's to where it took off. I I had that fall. This sponsoring. is about six years into the racing career, so uh, that'd be the end of the third year. Oh, into the third year. Okay, the beginning of the fourth year. So you're about thirty-one or so. I would be thirty-three. Thirty-three. Four. And you finally got a real sponsor at this point, right? Okay. I mean, it wasn't a hundred percent sponsorship, but anything would help. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he stayed with me through even Indy. Indy cars. Okay, so we jumped there a little bit. So we're all on Indy cars. Let's go. <laughs> How do we get to Indy cars? So you're running the Super V stuff, uh, obviously doing very well. Is was the next step into Indy cars right then? Yeah, the next. Uh, actually, the sponsor wanted to go to NASCAR, and uh, and I had. How did that go? But oh, they started a series for Formula Super V. Um, the year before we were going to make a move like that and we ran in conjunction there was a preliminary race to the Indy cars so we got to know the people and uh, as a result we ended up going to Indy car uh, so with you took your sponsor and everything and, and you got so how yeah, I almost had a ride with one team they suggested that maybe I'd want to drive their car when I was running the Super V's Mm -hmm. um, but that didn't materialize, but it got us thinking in that direction. So the guy in Charlotte, <clears throat> he's got the shop, it would, and he was still going to No, he involved. retired, he, he, he re except he owned this business. Well, he sold the business, actually. That's right. The uh, the end of the year that he loaned me the car, he sold the business to a fellow in Florida. And so w along with your sponsor now, you, you say we're going to do IndyCars, is that? and how do you get an indie? How do you? How well, did you we get were an indie? just talking with the teams. You know what? They're always looking for either sponsors or or 
drivers mm-hmm. that can help draw sponsors or um, someone that they think depends on what their aspirations are. And I ran with AJ Watson, who was uh, legendary because he had at one one year I think he had built seventeen of the cars in the field oh, for the wow. five hundred. Wow! But uh, he he was also recognized as being very good for a rookie, and the costs were low, so it worked out. We got rookie of the year. And couldn't have. <laughs> uh, so your first year in Indy cars, you get rookie of the year. And this is. You can only do it in your first year. Well, good point. Good point. Point well taken. Yes. So uh, the first race is of the year is Indy, right? No, it was. Uh, that was another interesting thing is. There, there was a race scheduled for Ontario Motor Speedway. It was this track just like Indy. It was a matter of fact, I think it was Ontario, California. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Phoenix, uh, PIR, that is, and then there was a track in Trenton, New Jersey. Those were three races before the 500. I was told by people, you know, I'm not by now. I'm talking with a lot of different people, and they said, "Well, don't run." Uh, Phoenix as your first race because you get sand on the track. Da, 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 da. Okay, well it's not the first race, so that's not a problem. Also, they because someone had suggested I maybe want to drive their Super V. They said, "Well, don't drive a Super V in Indy car the same weekend." Oh, okay. Well, turned out Ontario got canceled because of rain or postponed. So my first race is Phoenix. Running a Super V as well. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Everything I said don't do, you ended yeah. up having to do. Right. But it worked out. I finished eighth in the IndyCar and, and uh, third in the Super V, even though we had to make uh, pit stops during the race. It's a sprint race, and you're not – normally you can't get away with making pit stops. But there was a yellow, and I had we had made some changes. And I didn't spend any time with that car, and I thought the changes were our problem. Well, it was a problem. They put the wrong gears in. Turned out third gear was a higher gear than I wanted for fourth. So that uh, I took the lead at the beginning. But when I shift, when after about a lap, when I got the fourth gear, I just started going backwards at a oh, rapid wow. rate. And uh, turned out it's because I was running too low RPM, but the tack didn't work either. So <laughs> I was going by sound, and I finally then shifted back to third kind of holding my breath and it, that, that seemed to work. <laughs> so you stayed in third. Stayed in third. Wow. Okay. So your first experience um, in indie cars. So in, so you're practicing, obviously you're practicing with this car. I mean, was it an amazing, was it a big step up in cars from the Super V? Uh, yeah. I spun once, but then Foy spun the same spot. <laughs> and I felt better about that. <laughs> and neither one of us said anything. It was coming out of the last corner and slid down the front straight. But uh but yeah, you could you could feel the difference in the acceleration big time. Well the other the probably the biggest difference was the turbo lag. I'm sure it's a lot better today, but uh or later it was. Uh you go into turn one in a super V it was flat out barely. 
make it mm-hmm. through very, very uh, fast. But in the, in the Indy car, because there were no ground effects then, so you didn't have near the downforce, you had to brake. So you brake, and then you start on the throttle long before you need it, because there's such a lag that you want to get it when you want it. So you, you have to have faith that everything's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And your left foot braking, so you're not shifting. Oh, wow. So how many horsepower were these Indy, Indy cars? Oh, at then? that time, they were actually higher. Um, for the for qualifying, you were limited to 80 inches of boost, boost pressure. <clears throat> and But for the, the race, you were not limited, but you were limited for fuel. So you had to get 1.8, I think it was, miles per gallon. One point eight miles per gallon. <laughs> so you, some teams had had it all figured out, like Patrick Racing probably did, uh, with Sonny Mars, their engine builder. They probably had everything figured out how they could run a lot of boost. But I heard someone told me that Foyt had over a thousand horsepower, um, because he he could run a lot of boost, and probably other teams did too. When we were probably eight eight. 850 maybe. Oh my gosh, yeah. Compared to a Super V, which was... Yeah, 100. And, by the time uh, we were finished with that, about 170. Holy cow, huge dip. 10 times almost. Yeah. Well, I had driven other cars too. I drove Trans Am Camaro, uh, Formula Atlantic. They were about 120 or 220 horsepower. Not a lot of races, but I had some experience with other cars. Wow. Wow. And so then it comes... To the Indy 500, I mean, as a kid, you know, that was just an amazing event to me. I mean, I was, I lived a couple hours away. My neighbor always went. I always dreamed of going, so I'd watch the race. Eventually, you know, I got to go with, you know, he would take me at least to the time trials and stuff. It's such an event. Was it, was it as, as, are you caught up in it? I mean, is it still an event for a young driver when they get there? Uh, I played it on as much as I could. I just didn't want the distraction. So I didn't really have the appreciation of everything that's going on, right? Trying to stay focused. I didn't want to. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and you stayed in IndyCars full time for, so how'd the first Indy 500 go? Uh, didn't finish. It overheated right away. Uh, I was in the, I think I qualified in the fifth row, which was okay. Uh, but we were running an offie. And the Cosworth was a superior power plant. So, but I, I don't know what happened. It must have been low on water or something because it overheated really early. And so I didn't finish it. All of the experiences in Indy were a lot to be desired. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, so the third one was with Patrick Racing and and the Cam gear broke or oil pump gear broke and the engine just shut off abruptly in a very precarious position i was in the middle of a corner with a lot of traffic around and when when you lose power if you go out and pop out of gear or something of that nature you you slow down in a hurry because of the uh air drag so you know just trying to not have someone run over me was a challenge the one I did finish, we had all kinds of problems. It was a an older engine that uh, didn't meet the, the new specs, 
because we we had one good engine and blew it blew that up on carburation day so we uh, were running an old engine the radios worked all month until race day then i had no radio communication oh my god <laughs> the handling was my fault i didn't set the car up right because i never ran in traffic until the race and that's when i discovered i had a problem <laughs> oh wow but once i knew what it was i was just more careful so so you were working on the cars a lot of drivers back then work on the cars and OAG i didn't you. work on it i OAG. just would recommend recommend how to yeah, set it yeah, yeah. And so you ran Indy cars for three years. Right. This is mid eighties now ish, right? It'd be seventy eight through eighty. Seventy through eighty, and then where did you, where where did the next racing take you from then? Oh, that was. Uh, and you then, were guys living in South Carolina? Is that no? We we were still in State College, so, uh, State College, PA, and I had done a PR function that PPG Industries, who was a series sponsor, uh, put on in Ohio. Pittsburgh Paint and Glass, I don't know if they're still called yeah, that, right? It's, it's just now PPG, just PPG because yeah. they diversified, I think, back in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. And it went from Pittsburgh uh, Plate Glass, I think it was at that time. But anyway, uh, I got to meet the vice president, who was really the brainchild of uh, sponsoring. And when I saw him the next time in Michigan, he asked how the house hunting was going because we're looking for a house. And, and we Went to the bank. We were all ready to go. And I got a call that my sponsor, who was also now my employer the last year and a half, was going into Chapter 11. He was, he was in the trading business, and he had one fellow who was kind of a gambler working for him. And things went south, and he didn't know about it for when he should have. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I wasn't sure. And we were going into a recession in 81. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what I was going to do, and this fellow offered me a job at BPG. I thought, oh, you know, <laughs> it's, it was nice having some income for a change. I was getting used to that, and I thought, well, I could do both, maybe. <laughs> so I uh, took the job at BPG, and uh, I had a call from Chip Ganassi's crew chief. Uh, my call who was, at that time, was a pretty young kid. And he wanted to start his own team. And he wanted me to drive for him. Well, because of the recession, he never got the money. Mm -hmm. So he never built the team. Ended up, I think he, I don't know what he did prior to Ganassi, but he probably went right to Ganassi then. <laughs> so anyway, I ended up retiring without realizing it. <laughs> So I retired from PPG then, 22 years later. <laughs> and that was a uh, good experience. I was retired for two years when I got a call from Mark Basso. Oh, so you had, oh, okay. So you were out of racing and you just worked for PPG. What did, right. you, what did you do for them? Well, I was hired in as uh, employee relations manager, which is kind of weird. <laughs> Uh, considering my background, but it was that was a spot that was open. That was the only reason I, I got that position. And I only had that for two years, three years, something like that. And then uh, I facilitated a, an employee involvement program for a couple of years uh, where you get groups of employees that work on specific problems that they identify. Then I started, I went into their new business 
of powder coatings. The PPG was kind of late getting into the powder coatings game. And I went into that area then as a, an engineer, process engineer, operations engineer. Mm -hmm. I kind of was in charge of the operation of... Was there any racing or autocrossing going on at this time? Uh, no, I would run Daytona 24-hour here and there, uh, you know, whenever I had a chance, but not too often. And a friend, the fellow that worked at Sun Oil and contacted me in the first place, was still racing. Now he was running a Porsche 944 in the Firehawk series. So for a couple of years, I ran with him in that. And, and that went, that was good. You know, it was fun. But nothing ever really serious. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I retired without realizing it. <laughs> it <laughs> took some time to realize I was retired from that. And then I retired from PPG. Actually, it took a package that they had available, and uh, but stayed on consulting for two more years, mostly in Germany, uh, almost exclusively in Germany where I'd go over for two or three weeks at a time, trying to man transfer the manufacturing capability from the States to Germany, because oh. their only customer at that time in the automotive area was BMW, full-body clear coat. So I was just finishing that up when Mark Basso called me about coming out here. And I guess Alan had recommended me. And you were in Ohio, is that kind of where you were at the time? I was in just outside of Cleveland. Okay. And I had met Alan Wilson my rookie year in the IndyCars. He was uh, he was a general manager at Brands Hatch. We had two races in uh, England, outside of London. And Alan was the uh, general manager at Brands Hatch. That's how we got to meet. And his wife uh, was racing. Oh. They, as a matter of fact, they ended up in England because she had won a championship in South America. They were both really originally from South America. And uh, so they, I had her come over once for a race. She ran a Super V, and she loved it. So she called home and said, Alan, we have to move to America. <laughs> So you get the call from Mark in Ohio, and you. So you, he he said that you were um, their first official employee, right? So there was, you know, they didn't have any employees. Um, there was Jack Matravis doing the engineering, and there were the founders, and then of course the founding members that really weren't involved other than just giving money uh, initially. This would have been two thousand and four. Two thousand four. So I came out and I worked because there was just unbelievable amount of work ahead of us, you know, because none of the group, no one really had extensive involvement with racing at all, let alone in all the facets. Whereas I had worked, I was a PR guy for my sponsor. I worked with the tracks, coordinated with the tracks. So I had a lot more experience than any of them. So uh, I came out and uh, I started working from home, just making phone calls and trying to get. So them. when you came out and saw the idea, you were on board and said, "This is going to work. This is going to be great. It'll be fun." And well, 
I guess. <laughs> yeah, I didn't look at it as. Uh, did you look at it as going to be full full time, or did you look at it as kind yeah. of consulting? Yeah, you you're going okay. It was a matter of fact. So I came out in '04, first just working from home, but then I had to come out here to have some hands on, um, and then the last thing we did was put a curbing. Pavement was down, so then we, Alan and I, Alan Wilson and I would stand out there while cars would be driving by experienced drivers and watch where they would be apexing or coming close to the edge, and we'd be standing there, right? <laughs> and then put stakes in the ground to try and determine where the curb should be because it was hard. You probably could have done just as good a job, though. <laughs> If <laughs> you're using math, because <laughs> a couple of the curves, as you know, are not exactly where you would expect they ought to be. But anyway, then uh, we opened in October for just a short time with no, very, very little safety barriers. Guardrail wasn't all in, and no tire walls. I mean, it was so we kept everyone trying to keep calm. Mm-hmm. Just get some time on the track and then finished the track and uh, had a job fair in February of 05 hired a lot of people because it was going to take a lot of people and uh, I was hired in as the track manager which but that meant I was doing everything mm-hmm. and making coffee with a 10 <laughs> cup percolator I mean we we were bare bones then and uh but the hardest part probably was trying to give orientation to everyone because everyone's new and then these big weekends these festival speed type mm-hmm. weekends that's when the, the members would bring guests and of course they would need orientation too and i was the only one doing it i mean it was just crazy but we got through all that <laughs> Wow. So everything has gotten us to to this point. So your primary duties now are, uh, would you say, race school, teaching the race school and giving license? Uh, organizing that. Uh, Tony will do actually more instructing in the school. He'll give the classroom. Okay. So he gives. Yeah, we kind of work together. And then we have some members that will come and help for the driving portion to present some situations for some of the students Mm -hmm. Uh, that works out that's helpful and uh then safety is was my area that is track safety Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's not quite finished but it's in very good shape Uh, getting tire walls i I estimate we have about thirty-two thousand tires on site that are all bolted Oh wow! So it's a it's a yeah. lot of nuts and bolts, <laughs> and twice as many washers, <laughs> right? Uh, and and so and and coaching, teaching, yeah, teaching, coaching, and and helping guys out get yeah. faster, get better, having fun, and um, it's fun watching people that, especially like younger people, not necessarily. That's what I prefer, but but it's fun to watch someone who's younger, like your son, mm-hmm. uh, come up and progress. 
Yeah, well, he he would be on the track every day if he could. <laughs> uh, so hopefully we'll spend some time with you and him this summer, maybe getting a, a podcast on what it's like for a young um, a young guy to come out here and drive and experience and get some coaching and on his path to get unleashed on his own since he's he's he'll be 14 this summer. So he can come out and drive and get coaching anyway. We'll, we'll go through all that process. Sure. I'm sure in another, in another podcast. Sure. Uh, so if people need to get, a, need to get a hold of you, uh, um, if the best way to reach me is cell phone, probably because, okay. uh, I have that with yeah, me virtually all the, all the time. Okay. Um, they can get that and call the track and then get in touch with you that right. way also. And right. yeah. And, uh, I think I heard one of your, previous uh, podcast that you had to be a member i think it was stated you had to be a member to participate in the school and that's really not true the only thing is you it doesn't help you at all credential wise it's only good for the information that you learn. Okay, so you could so a non-member could come to the race school. How often do you off, how often do you have the race schools? We do it more or less on demand, but okay. almost every year we have to have one early in the season. Early, okay, I think last year we had one before we opened. Um, this time it's a week in, um, but if we get some others that want to race and they they need the school, we'll schedule one. Okay, so we it's kind of we have anywhere from two to four in a year two to four different schools in a year okay we had one september 30th i think last year so it really is a short time track time mm-hmm. yeah to, left to this one but uh we had a need so. okay and we, we've had anywhere from just a few up to 20 25 oh wow that's quite a bit yeah so it, it varies do it on demand, basically. Okay. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it. I well, learned a lot. I was really, really looking forward to hearing your history and your story. Um, and I'm super excited that I know a little bit more about you now. And I cannot wait to get far next time. And we, uh, you sit next to me and tell me what I'm doing wrong and tell me what I'm doing right. So I think you'll be doing fine. <laughs> All right. Thank um, you, Tom. Uh, thank you, John. Enjoyed it. Well, I'd like to thank Tom again for coming on the podcast. It was really enjoyable to hear about his story and his racing career. Now let's hear the car that started up the podcast one more time. This is a pretty distinct sound. You obviously know it's not a run-of-the-mill car. This is a 2017 McLaren 570S. 562 horsepower out of its 3.8 liter V8 turbocharged engine. Does about 0 to 60 in 3.2 seconds. The club does have a McLaren 570 GT available for lunchtime touring. So if you have not driven that, make sure you get on the schedule well in advance as that is the most popular car for lunchtime touring. One thing that I guess I didn't know when I learned from the 
Grand Prix Driver Series that's on Amazon, which details the McLaren F1 team, was that McLaren didn't really start making consumer cars until 2011 with the MP4-12C, which Jeremy Clarkson says the MP4-12C should be the name of a copier, not a car. That was the first consumer car. I, you know, we knew all about the F1, but I just assumed that I just didn't know the other cars until I was watching that. That was pretty interesting. Most of them are still handmade, I guess, about 4,000 cars a year. Well, everybody, thanks again for this show. It ran a little long, but I think the interview was all worth it. And I'll see you next time on the Audubon Country Club Podcast. You've been listening to Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybill, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Join us next time for Autobahn Country Club Podcast.